I hope you guys are and girls are in good spirits, but it's hard to be in good spirits when you find out what's going on in America, uh, being um, championed and caused by the Republicans. Cromo is out. He is out. He's out of New York. I mean, he's out as governor, and, and you know that. And the lieutenant governor has um, taken his place. She's a woman, and, and I'm hearing this is the first time in 233 years that a woman uh, governor has been governor of New York. Now, don't take my word for it. Look it up. Research it. Anyway, Cromo is out, and a lot of people were pissed off at me because I felt that he was railroaded, screwed, and forced out. If you're pissed off at that, then you can stay pissed off because that's what I actually believe. But he's out um, hopefully in 2022 when uh, the people of New York vote, they will vote in another Democrat. A lot of people are afraid that if when the New Yorkers vote in 2022, they may vote in a Republican. And if a Republican is voted into New York in 2022, if Donald Trump has not been indicted and in prison, a lot of people are afraid he will be impeached by the evil Republicans, the re-thugs. So anyway, uh, Cromo is out. Uh, her name is, let me see if we can... Hochschild, H-O-C-H-E-L. I know I'm pronouncing it wrong, but <laughs> anyway, she's a woman. And hopefully she will do a good job and a great job, just like uh, Crummel has done. I think he was an excellent uh, uh, mayor of New York. And I hope at some point he gets back into politics. He's not you know, um, denied from running for office again. He should run for office again. <laughs> and make sh- <laughs> he probably should, you know, make sure um, who he kisses, you know, because this, this, it, the things that I'm hearing that he supposedly done were just innocent. The women just, I don't know, they wanted attention, wanted money. I just think it was wrong. I just think it was wrong. And let's get over to talking about this COVID situation. If we can talk about this COVID situation, wow. At this show, at the start of the show on this date, COVID is surging throughout the United States. It's the fourth surge of this deadly virus around America. Most who are dying and are unvaccinated, according to doctors, scientists, and those on the front lines of this massive pandemic, are Republicans. And the governors of Texas and Florida are killing their own citizens for not mandating masks in schools and vaccines at a timely manner. The federal government have sent them ventilators. I mean, whenever the federal government sent out ventilators, this stuff is important. I mean, um, 
COVID is surging and it's not over. But a lot of us, you know, we can't stay home. We cannot, you know, be on lockdown and stuff like that or quarantine because we have jobs to go to. We have bills to pay. Uh, But basically, wear your mask. If you wear your mask indoors and sometimes outdoors, you wear your mask if you're in a crowd of people, you're safe. And another thing is that the numbers of the unvaccinated is going up. People are getting vaccinated. They're getting the, we are getting the word out about that how safe vaccines are more so than the naysayers on the other side, on the other side of the aisle who are telling people the vaccines are not safe, masks are not safe. And some of these people are suing companies who mandate masks for their employees, for their customers, which I think is erroneous. I think the judge is going to throw that crap out. Mayors of Florida, mayors, I mean, not mayors, but governors. I keep saying mayors. I don't know what is, <laughs> what's going on. But mayors and governors of a lot of cities, I said mayors again, are mandating masks. But we have two governors who are so stubborn, and I think what these guys are doing, and I'm talking about DeSantis and Abbott, they are making this political. Nothing else matters when you're dying, when people are dying. What's going on on the border has nothing to do with COVID. They're trying to make that something, and it has nothing to do with COVID. And I'm hearing and I'm reading that these people will pay a price at the polls in 2022, these governors, because DeSantis is up for re-election. DeSantis is thinking about maybe running for governor. It's not going to happen. This is why, uh, and they know it. This is why they have implemented voter suppression in many states in order for this guy to win if Trump doesn't step in the race and run. Trump should never run for office ever again. I, I and so many other Americans, we are still dumbfounded of why Trump is not facing charges for his crimes, his crimes of America. As long as Trump is out there, and even today Trump is out there, um, Touting hate, repeating a big lie over and over and over again, which I think Trump knows it's a big lie. I think he knows what he's saying is a lie. He did not win the election. He lost. He knows he's lost, but he has to keep saying that. Why? (laughs) So he can fundraise, have his stupid, gullible supporters send him money. for him to keep saying it's it's he won he did not win i'm stuttering because it's hard to keep saying that uh uh this guy won he did not won he lost this election and 90 to 95 of the people in in america believe that even the ones who support trump believe it but they know it's a lie but two hospitals are filling up at alarming rates with a very sick patients 
who are on their deathbeds and some still defying and denying the safety of vaccines. That is so true. A lot of these people in these hospitals that are overwhelmed with these COVID patients, some of those patients are struggling to live and they're denying the safety of the vaccine. And you, and then you've got some patients who are dying from COVID uh, related COVID-related illnesses, they're asking, at the last minute, they're asking to get the, they're asking at the last minute, last minute to get the shot. And the doctors tell them it's too late. You should have gotten a shot before you came down with COVID symptoms. Once you come down with COVID symptoms and you are full-fledged COVID-19 patient, the shots will not do a damn thing for you. You get the shots before you get it. The majority of the people who are still alive, they are fully vaccinated. But they still have to wear the mask because you never who never know what company you might be in that a lot of those people may not have the shots and don't give a damn about getting the shots. And that that's that's the kicker. A lot of people just don't care about getting a shot. They're making up all kinds of excuses to not get a vaccine, which is bullshit. Which is totally bullshit. People who are dying are Republican voters. Listening to their loving leaders, giving them negative negative misinformation and just outright lying about the safety of masks and the effects of the vaccines. The vaccines are safe. The vaccines will keep you alive. The people who are telling you not to get vaccinated are themselves fully vaccinated. They are fully vaccinated. The liars have been vaccinated, but they don't want you to get vaccinated. I'm hearing because they want to blame Biden Joe Biden, President of the United States, they want to blame him for people dying. So that's why they're telling you not to get vaccinated, the Republicans. They want this to fall on Joe Biden, but I think it's going to backfire. Matter of fact, I think it already has backfired. The Republicans, the media, the conservative media are telling their voters not to get vaccinated when they have been vaccinated. And I've said this several times on social media. I think Republicans are just fucking evil. And I think this is going to bite them in the ass in 2022. The Republicans, the politicians, they are hoping that voter suppression put them back into office because they have nothing whatsoever to offer America or Americans. I've said this before. They have no policy. They have no issues. They have nothing to offer the, offer the American people for their vote. Nothing. And they don't give a damn and they don't care. They are hoping and wishing for extraordinary voter suppression to put them back in office and 
monumental cheating to put them back in office in 2022. I, I think it's going to backfire on them because I, because I do know for one thing, Republicans, Republican voters have, have even turned against some of these Republicans. But they don't care. They don't care about people not voting for them because they're relying on voter suppression to keep them in office. But no matter how much the Republicans try to suppress the vote, and I'm hearing in Texas uh, the Democrats who walked out to preserve voting rights, the governor has issued issued warrants for their arrest. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you've heard of that. Warrants for their arrest. Now, why would he want to do that? Try to force them, make them come back so he can get a quorum to pass his voter suppression bills? This is going to make Democrats fight stronger and harder. I hope they stay out forever until this guy is voted out of office. And he'll he will never get his uh, voter suppression bill passed. I applaud them. I think they're great Americans. I think they're great people. And uh, this, this is just mind-boggling what the Republicans are trying to do, what they want to do, and how stupid they think we are. We are not stupid. And we will never be stupid. It's just that these guys, I, I just think these guys hate America. I really do. I just think they just hate America. They hate Americans. They hate African Americans. A lot of them, I think, are coming to their senses that this country belongs to you and me. It does not belong to any political party. A lot of these Republicans, especially Lauren Boebert and what's her name? What, what is her name? Marjorie Taylor Greene. These people and others like them, Matt Gates. these are representatives of the United States, of their districts. And they don't give a damn about their districts. Their districts does not play any part in what they're trying to do. What these three people and others are trying to do in the Republican Party, these people are trying to become famous, get their names out there, get their faces out there. They're becoming famous by sprouting BS, garbage, especially Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert. These are two stupid-ass people, stupid-ass representatives. Jim Jordan. He is one ignorant prick. Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, he's a stupid ass. I mean, if you just listen to these people talk, you just and, and listen to what they're talking about, majority of the time, it's not their constituency. It's not like bringing the bread back home to this constituency. When you are running for office, According to the Constitution, you represent you are representing people. You're there to help those people in their lives. But these people, they're not. It's all about being famous. It's all about getting their faces on the news. And 
Marjorie Taylor Greene, I mean, she goes to all kinds of extremes to try to get you to pay attention to her. I mean, I'm all on Twitter, and (laughs) I just see her posting after post after post after post. And it's all about to get – she's no leader. It's all about getting attention. It's all about letting us know that she's there. Uh, It's not about the country. It's not about – her state. It's not about her constituency. It's about her. It's all about her. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio, and we're going to have this is Ashley Judd and Val Deming. Welcome to the show, ladies. Hello. Am I live? Everyone, this is Ashley Judd, and I am very delighted to support Joe Biden and Kamala Harris for President and Vice President of the United States. We have a super exciting high wave, everybody. Thank you so much for joining. Um, So pleased to be having Chief Deming, Congresswoman Deming, joining us today for a really important and exciting conversation during these most yeah, I agree. I think this is beautiful. Times, difficult, challenging times, as many of you yeah, know from my last exactly. Instagram post. I went. Um, Welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show. I am just going to be looking down, not only to see um, what y'all are saying as you greet me and I greet you back, namaste, but also to look for the Congresswoman's request to join our Instagram Live. We're going to be talking about quite a few things today, uh, in particular violence against girls and women. And as you may know, Vice President Joe Biden started pursuing the Violence Against Women Act in 1990 when he was a senator, and then he was able to get this legislation passed in 1994. He has been driving the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women's Act since that time, and it is now in the Senate. It has been voted for by all the Democrats in the Senate, and it is just waiting for Senator McConnell to bring it to a vote. So I'm just going to wait for the Congresswoman to join us. Um, I'm very excited that my connection works. I live out in the country. I'm home in rural Middle Tennessee, and the connection is not very great, even though the promise to bring Internet and Wi-Fi to rural America. That Our friend is coming. Good morning, good afternoon. <laughs> Ashley, it is so great to see you and so good to be together for this very special moment. It's a pleasure and an honor. I have respected and admired you from afar, and it's really a treat to sit with you. I appreciate your time very much. Well, it's worth it. Believe me. Thank you. Yeah, you're a woman with moxie and power of voice, and I have appreciated your work as a public servant. You are yeah, someone just said, OMG, I am ONG with you. <laughs> oh, you know what? I can say the exact same thing about you and the amazing work that you have been doing, traveling. How many countries? Like 22 or more countries? Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for the work you're doing as well. And we know that as President uh, Joe Biden will reauthorize funding to the to UNFPA, which helps prevent unintended pregnancies around the world, and those have really gone up during this time of economic crisis and health crisis. And 
you know, we all have the right to plan our families and to space those births. And so that's something that I would very much be looking forward to. So thanks for mentioning my international work. But we've got a lot of work to do here at home. So before we get started, tell me a little bit about some of the maybe a weird hobby that you've picked up during COVID or something interesting that you're reading at the moment. Well, you know, that's interesting. Let's talk about the hobbies, right? <laughs> I would say my number one hobby now during this unusual period of time is Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. Yeah, we're Like all a Richie song just stays in my head, right? Because every, you know, I, I love just meeting with people and reaching out and touching and having those great in-person conversations, but everything is through Zoom now, and that's okay because it still gives us an opportunity to get together and take care of the very important business of the day. I'm reading a book uh, called Peaks and Valleys. Isn't that the by, It's by T.D. Jakes. And when we think about what is going on right now, uh, the joys and pains of life, I think we find ourselves in this period of time right now in this election season with something we've never seen before in this country. And I think it's incumbent on us to understand the peaks and valleys of the moment, but then figure out exactly what we need to do so that people will have more peaks in their lives than valleys. Yeah. It's a great book. Good. What about you? What do you Well, I, I think that my, 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 my weird and somewhat unfortunate coronavirus hobby is that I'm on a losing streak at Gin Rummy. <laughs> There's my, a remedy for that. Just never learn how to play it, and then you'll never. <laughs> no. So I've been playing since my mama and I would pile all the pillows on the bed in eastern Kentucky and turn off the air conditioning, open the oh. windows, listen to the cicadas and crickets of a summer's evening, and she and I would play. But my husband is a crafty card player, and he just beats me all the time. But I'm, now, still, actually, I'm still trying. I'm you still said trying. crafty now. Are you insinuating that perhaps, uh, of course, no, he, he doesn't have to cheat. I just lose. I just go down. Um, and I don't know how he does it. I mean, I try to mimic his, his strategies, but I just lose. But I still show up. I win at casino, but I lose at gin rummy. And the book I'm reading right now, I have it so that folks can see, is Sister Outsider. And I know that the title goes, um, I'm actually, if you should see my rig, I've got my phone held up with duct tape. I'm real sophisticated. Um, but you can see I'm reading Audrey Lorde. And this is, includes the essay in which she said her poignant and urgent line, your silence will not protect you. Um, so I love that. that yes. That's a powerful message. Now, isn't it? As we are in this voting season, it is your so silence true. will not protect you. And get what involved, do we say? Get engaged. Yes. Yeah. And what do we say to all those people out there who are maybe affected by the cynicism of the other side? You know, those those cynics who want to antagonize us and say that your vote doesn't matter and don't bother or God help us vote twice or your mail-in ballot is potentially not going to count. Um, what do you say to them? You know, Ashley, what I would do is to remind anyone who's being discouraged right now about the importance of their vote of a time when so many people could not vote. That's right. The laws were not on their side. When we think about women, African-Americans, 
other minorities. They could not vote. And so the laws passed, allowing them that opportunity. So now there is this concerted effort to suppress the vote, to say your vote does not matter. But let's think about voting. We may not come from the same places or have the same amount of money in our bank accounts and all of that, but our vote levels the playing field. Your vote matters as much as anyone else's. And if we really want to change our present circumstances, and Lord knows we need major change right now, we need a leader who supports the people's agenda, then there could not be a more important time to cast your vote and make it count. Your vote doesn't count if you don't vote. But, boy, when we vote, it is our voice. And so we need to make our voice heard from the mountaintop and go out and support the only person on the ballot who supports the people's agenda, and that's Joe Biden. That's right. That's right. And thank you for the person who just said they're a poll worker this season. And my dad is always a poll worker, and I love and appreciate him. He's also working for Amy McGrath's campaign in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And um, I think that you said that very well. You know, if I don't vote, then that's a way to guarantee that my vote doesn't matter and my voice will not be heard. And one of the things I would suggest is go watch the beautiful movie Selma, which we just screened at our house. And you know, that is what voter suppression looks like, and voter, voter suppression is as old as voting itself. And, That's right. Um, That's right. And, you know, you know, Ashley, I have the honor of serving with John Lewis. Wow. And we know he dedicated his life to voting rights, right? He, his blood, sweat, and tears were left on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. He paved the way yes. for all of us to never, number one, take that take our votes for granted, but to always go out and vote. You know, there's this effort now, it's not so much, well, the other side trying to encourage people to vote so much for them, it's just trying to discourage you to not vote at all. And if we really want to change things, then we change it with the power of our vote. And I do know that people are extremely motivated because they are tired of what they are hearing and seeing out of the current person in the White House right now. We deserve better, and we can do better. Yes. And in terms of doing better, let's talk about specifically the policy of the Violence Against Women Act and how Joe Biden has been a singular person striving to manifest in both civil law and policy improvements. You know, this statistic is stable around the world, in the United States and globally, that one out of three of us will experience sexual and gender-based violence in her lifetime. And I certainly bear that out. I'm a survivor of both adolescent and adult rape. My mother experienced intimate partner violence when my sister and I were small girls. And, you know, the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act is just waiting in the United States Senate. And Joe Biden has said that in his first 100 days as president, he will make sure that it's reauthorized if the Senate under Mitch McConnell does not get this done. And I've had a chance. You know, I'm all about plans, and I'm all about the particulars of the policy because a plan improves and touches our lives in appreciable ways in the details of the policy, or it really doesn't make a difference. You know, and this plan is beautiful, and I urge everyone to go to BidenHarris.com and take a look at it. 
whether we're talking about stable and fair housing for women who are fleeing an abusive partner, closing the boyfriend loophole so that men who are perpetrators of violence cannot have access to a gun, making sure that a convicted stalker does not have access to a gun, making sure that a woman, if she is a victim of stalking, can have paid leave so that she can still earn her paycheck and support her children, and making sure that the elderly, yes, and of course the LGBTQIA plus community and the Native American women who are going missing and being murdered in extraordinarily high and devastating numbers, all of these are encompassed in this plan. It is so touching to me. And campus and sexual, campus uh, rape and sexual assault are epidemics, you know, and, and anyone who has not had a chance to see the documentaries made about it. My friend Diane Rosenfeld at Harvard Law School, she did this incredibly poignant um, read where a college admissions letter could say to the parents of a, of a prospective incoming student, gee, welcome, Jenny, we're so glad your daughter's coming. By the way, there's a one in three chance that she will be sexually assaulted and raped. We can't wait to see Jenny this fall. You know, this, is the rea- this is the reality. Yeah. The Violence Against Women Act is, is a piece of leadership that is so under-celebrated when it comes to Joe Biden. So that's my pitch. And I wondered, um, you know, as a member of the House of Representatives, what's that been like, what that has been like for you to see that leadership and also what the frustrations may have been under the current administration? Well, Ashley, let me say this. Certainly as a first responder, yes, I am a stranger to violence against women. And, you know, one of the things my husband likes to say is he, he says the best indicator of future performance is to look at past performance. This is legislation that Joe Biden first introduced in 1990. So he is no stranger to protecting women as well and doing it through effective legislation. And with re, each reauthorization, as you've said, we've seen the law only strengthen to make sure that no woman is left behind, right? Members of the LGBTQ community, Native women, and others, that the law encompasses everybody. And as a first responder, we I know for a fact that we have come a long way, but you've indicated and, and so clearly laid out that we still have a long way to go. There is still much work to be done. And the frustration is, you know, when we pass legislation in the House of Representatives that directly impacts people's lives, that can help protect women, and it goes to the Senate and sits there in the place where the Grim Reaper uh, keeps watch over the graveyard, which I think is absolutely painful, but may work hard to make sure that we get reauthorization of this important legislation through. And I am so excited and so encouraged about working with the Biden-Harris administration so we can get some things done with a sense of urgency. Yes. And I love that you point out the word urgency because intimate partner violence has skyrocketed during this COVID pandemic um, because of the coexisting and interlocking factors of perpetrators being at home with their victims, stress, cortisol, joblessness, the perceived threat to traditional roles of masculinity, introducing alcohol, the spiking use of violent pornography, all of these things are intersecting and really making girls and women all the more vulnerable. You can just ask the rape and incest network, and um, it's a very toxic mix 
for girls and women. And also just to speak again to that urgency, you know, we often think of other countries being less safe for women, but more women have died at the hands of their intimate partners in the United States than have been killed in both Iraq and Afghanistan wars combined. So we have, we, we, have a, we have a gender and sexual-based violence problem in this country, too, and Joe Biden is our leader along with our frontline responders, as you said, and all of the grassroots operatives and people who are really um, the leaders in their community. So thank you very much for talking with me about that. We've got a lot going on in America, but we can't forget about VAWA. Absolutely. So we're going to get it done. We are going to get it done. And you being um, a public servant for so many years as an officer and a police chief and now a member of Congress, you know, I was looking up the numbers of women who have served in the United States Congress since 1917 when the first woman, uh, Jeanette from Montana, I believe it was, ran for office. And it's pretty, it's pretty sobering. So 97% of all people who have ever served in the United States Congress were male. Yeah. So that's and only 3% have ever been female or identified as female. Only 3%. So what do you say to girls out there who are thinking about they want to run, thinking that they want to run for office? And let's also add Shirley Chisholm, who was the first yes. African-American woman. Of course. And while we celebrate. Right now, having more women serving in the House of Representatives than in the history of this country, it is obvious that we need more. When we think about every issue that we are wrestling with in this country right now, all issues are women's issues. And for those who are thinking about running for office, we need you because women, and I, I say this, and look, we are, we, are, we are thankful for our male colleagues. But I look at women and how we make decisions. We're like good quarterbacks, right? Quarterbacks have to have the ability to see the entire field. They know where all the players are. They know their strengths and weaknesses. They know their challenges and, and, and you know, what they bring to the table. And they consider all things. And so we need people who have the ability to see the entire field and make decisions that don't leave anybody out. And so, you know, regardless of your background, regardless of where you live, regardless of how you have been encouraged or discouraged, know that inside of you is a great person who we need to serve your country in this special way. And you know, don't overthink it. You know, you have the talent, skills, and ability to serve your country, and we need you. What an exhortation. That is beautiful. And when we talk about our male colleagues, you know, what we're looking for is the Bonobo principle. And a lot of folks haven't heard of the Bonobos, but, you know, they are a great ape. They are our closest relatives, and we share over 97% of our DNA with them. And they're an egalitarian model. They're not a matriarchal model. They're not just, you know, we're not just looking to replace patriarchy with female dominance. We're looking for shared leadership and shared power. And so the Bonobos are egalitarian. Now, it does so happen with the Bonobos that a female is always the ranking individual. Um, but there's also, interestingly, with the Bonobos, a total lack of sexual coercion. There's no such thing as sexual dominance or sexual coercion within the species. They're a totally different evolutionary model. And interestingly enough, a quirk about them is that the males get their status through their mothers. And so being a mom is joy is a compliment. <laughs> and evolutionarily necessary. 
and females, and this is something that we can really think about as a, as a cohort. You know, the females have a special cry that they emit when one is in distress, and females come to help each other, whether or not they know each other, whether or not they're related, or whether or not they like each other. A female always has another female's back. It's about solving problems. It's about getting it done. It's about sharing information and listening and being engaged in in team building and and team thinking to solve problems. You know, you don't have to have all of the answers, but it's good to be able to bring others to the table and listen and solve problems together. And that's one of the things that I'm so excited about that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are doing. They're engaged in these listening sessions. How do we solve America's problems by bringing people to the table of different backgrounds, different genders, different places and spaces to the table to be involved in decision-making? And you know what? When a person you talked earlier asked you about having a plan, we've seen what governance looks like under someone who has absolutely no plan, under someone who has absolutely no empathy. When I listen to Joe Biden and the plan that he has to protect the health, safety, and well-being of the people in this country, it just gives me such great hope. It is so reassuring. And so I look forward to um, the next, you know, few weeks working hard to make sure that we get it done. We elect uh, somebody who cares about the people's agenda, and I'm very excited about that. You've said some really beautiful and important things, community, leadership, empathy, getting it done the next few weeks. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure to be with you. And, you know, there was something that uh, Vice President Biden said when he visited Wisconsin. All right, ladies, thank you. (laughs) Ashley Judd and Val Jennings on the George Wilder Jr. Show.
Jordan Valdeming for that clip. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's get back to um, let's get back to talking about the anti-vaccine people. You've got people who are pastors, leaders of church, and and religious uh, facilities. They are telling their congregation not to get the vaccine. You, can you believe that? I don't know if God has anything to do with it, but they're telling their congregation vaccines do not work. I, I, I don't know about these people of God or these so-called people of God. Uh, I'm pretty sure this pastor or, or a lot of those other pastors are conservative are Republican, because I don't think any Democratic pastor would tell their congregation who is who are paying off not to get the vaccine. I mean, misinformation, folks, is coming from every fucking direction. People have to realize, stop listening to that garbage. And you've got people who will say they will never get the vaccine, no matter what. Those kind of people you cannot help. You just move on. And hopefully uh, the, the next person that you tell to get the vaccine will probably see the light. Because like I said earlier into the show, I think a lot of people are now seeing the light. I mean, they're seeing their friends and their family members 
get sick or fall dead around them. And then they rush out and get the vaccine. Well, if that's what it takes to get people uh, to get the vaccine, then so be it. Even though you, you don't want to see other people die, you don't want to see other people get sick. But a lot of uh, illnesses that are um, happening right now are forcing people who have not gotten the vaccine to get the vaccine. And they hear a lot of people uh, in the media, like myself, and other outlets saying, get the vaccine. It's a very safe it's very safe. It saves lives. I've seen doctor after doctor, scientist after scientist, I mean, the frontline people uh, uh, begging people to get the shot because their ICUs and their uh, hospital beds are being used up. I mean, there is one hospital that said they only had two more beds left. So where do you think these people go? Once the hospital fills up with people who are sick, and majority of the people who are sick are the unvaccinated. They have to put a, pull them out in the hallway, put them in the basement, probably pull them into the morgue. They'll be in there pretty soon anyway. Um, and then you have so much misinformation. And people, stupid people, ignorant people, I hate to say that, but a lot of people are, believe this shit. And then some of them don't believe it at all and still will not get the vaccine. A lot of these people you just cannot bring over to the right side. You cannot say get the vaccine because they're dead set on not getting the vaccine. They will not even let their kids wear masks because they don't believe in masks because a lot of, the, a lot of people out here are, are, are giving false information on the wearing a mask, like Governor DeSantis and uh, Greg Abbott. Florida and Texas governors they should know better but these people they don't care they've got the shot they don't give a damn they hope you don't get it and if you don't get it a lot of people don't get the shot refuse to get the shot they're gonna blame Biden and Biden has nothing to do with this political with these two governors it's political (laughs) they want to run for president one day or maybe be senator one day. And they're trying to make this uh, political because they have nothing else to offer the American people. They have nothing else on policy. They have nothing on issues. They have exactly nothing. And what they're hoping for is voter suppression. They are hoping for voter suppression to to them in office to keep to keep them in power but i think next year 2022 the voters are going to remember desantis the voters are going to remember greg abbott the voters are going to remember those who are like them the voters are going to remember who is giving out misinformation the voters are going to remember who is telling the most lies about the vaccine and the wearing of masks. This shit is so bad. I think the entire United States, there should be a mandate for everybody in the United States. Because 
this COVID, this fourth surge, this is the fourth surge, this COVID fourth surge out of fucking control. There are some hospitals in America, they are in crisis mode. They don't know what else to do. The patients are coming in so fast. Remember about a year ago? I mean, they were uh, loading people in trucks. People who were sick and came down with COVID, they were loading them in trucks because they didn't have any more beds. They didn't have any more room in the hospital, nowhere to put them, not even in the closet. They had trucks. And then some of the trucks were morgues. Because people were dying so quickly of it. And it seems, as though, it seems as if we haven't learned anything from the first, second, and third waves of this virus. Now we're in the fourth wave. And it's kicking our ass. And we still have people out here who will not get the virus. Don't get me wrong. A lot of the... Uh, there's more people getting the virus now than ever before, but there are still people on the fence. They're still listening to Fox. They're still listening to Newsmax. They're still listening to commentators, and they're still listening to politicians who are telling them not to get the vaccine, not to wear a mask. School is going to start in a little bit. And then you have parents, they're not grappling with the idea of whether their children should wear a mask or not. If their kids are going to be around other kids, they are going to have their kids wearing masks. And then you've got these governors who's, who are saying you don't have to uh, mask your child. He should be saying, yeah, mask your child. Put a mask on. The more these uh, governors go around and say, do not get a vaccine, do not wear a mask, more people die. And this is what they want. They are murderers. They are killers. Do not let them kill your children. Either you keep your kids home or you send them to school, you... Make sure they wear a mask. And from what I'm hearing, a lot of parents are defying these assholes who are constantly bombarding them with lies about the vaccine and about wearing masks. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Me personally, I never put my mask away. My kids, they never put their mask away. We're always wearing our masks, even though we are fully vaccinated, because we don't know who else around us are fully vaccinated. Fully vaccination doesn't mean that you're going to be immune from the virus, but it does mean you will not die from it. Vaccines will protect you. Wear your mask. And I keep saying this and I keep reiterating this all the time because I know there's going to be other people right after this show is over going to be telling you the hell with the vaccines. The hell with having your child wear a mask while they're in school. 
I think all school districts should have a mass mandate for children because young people are the ones who are being infected with this virus. Young people, children. Children. Children under 12. Children that are a little bit over 12. Parents, protect your child. If you're going to send them to school, make sure they're wearing masks. Do not listen to Republicans because they have killed enough people. And I'm I'm always going to say this. They'll tell you not to get vaccinated. The majority of them are vaccinated. The ones who are telling you not to get vaccinated can backfiring on them. It's backfiring. Just like I think everything else is going to backfire on these assholes. I really do. I think a lot of things are going to be backfiring on, on, these, on these Republicans, especially the ones that are lying and constantly lying about the vaccine. You got judges, uh, American judges. Some, some of these judges are Trump judges. They are requiring you. Uh, they are, well, what did, they're, they're upholding, excuse me, they're upholding the mass mandates that some of these governors try to knock down. Try to knock down. So it's, <laughs> I am so happy that I don't have small children. I would. I would probably go bonkers and crazy on someone who was trying to tell me how to raise my child and what I should do with my child in terms of COVID-19. I'm going to do what's best for my children. I'm not going to listen to people telling me to do this or to do that, or I have the privilege of doing this or doing that. Governor DeSantis, when he talks about children, he talks as if every child in his state belongs to him. Talks as if the school districts and the teachers and the principals and all the officials that work in these schools, that it's his. That it all belongs to him. He's king. They should do what he wants to do. And a lot of these parents, a lot of these parents are not having it. Greg Abbott act <laughs> of uh, Texas, he acts as if he's emperor. But I, I think he soon found out that he's not. He's just an elected official that can be elect, elected. He's just an elected, excuse me, that can be voted out of office. So can DeSantis. And I think this is probably going to happen because people are fed up with these clowns who think they know more about their children than the parents. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. We are, it's hot here, folks. It is really hot. And, and some people are telling me that it's hot where they are, too. But we just have to deal with it, you know duck your face in some water or go out to the beach or something. But, you know, it's hot, it's humid, 
<laughs> I mean, you're walking down the street, sweat falling off your head. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really hot here in the city of, of Chicago, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And like before, uh, the streets are empty. Majority of the streets are empty. You go out there, you don't see anybody. It's like they are, people are getting the word that COVID is back. So they're staying home. But like I said before, a lot of us can't afford to stay home because we have to go to work. We have to pay the bills. <laughs> or we will. We don't have the luxury of rental assistance. But anyway, uh, rental assistance is not going to pay your other bills. <laughs> so a lot of us have to get out there and work, do, do what we have to do. And have to get out there to uh, in the middle of the elements. It's hot. It's really hot. But I think we 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 have been through this before, and it will all we will always get through it. So if you're hot, uh, stay cool. <laughs> and if you know somebody who needs the vaccine, I'm pretty sure a lot of people out there have relatives. They know uh, sisters, brothers, cousins, aunts, uncles nephews, nieces, we all know some someone who is saying that they're not going to get the vaccine. <laughs> we all know that. We all have someone uh, they are not going to get the vaccine. I, I used to run into people so many times, and I still do. You have the shot? No. Are you going to get it? No. I, uh, the first thing that comes out of their mouth, I don't trust it. But have have you been listening to the doctors, the scientists, and the frontline workers saying that it's safe? I don't believe them. Those kind of people you have to let go. I mean, they're dead serious, dead serious on not getting the vaccine. And when they're dead serious on not getting the vaccine, they are the ones that will come down with COVID. They are the ones that will end up in the ICU. They are the ones that will end up wearing a ventilator. And then some of, some of them are going to say, I want to get the virus. Too late. It's too late. You should have gotten it when people were telling you to get it before you had COVID.
Bullying is a slow and painful death. And probably someone you know right now is suffering in silence. Bullies and leaders, these are two things we choose to be. Why is this important to me? For 20 years, I was a victim of workplace bullying and harassment as a female officer in the RCMP. And having survived, I wanted to help other people not suffer in silence. I want to share the tools I created to survive because remaining silent, I become part of the problem. At my first detachment, I dared to speak up against two officers who thought it was funny to refer to me as Beaver and other humiliating names regarding my body parts, female body parts, in the office, in public, and on the radio so other detachments could hear. First thing I did was remember what my parents said. When kids are teasing you, just ignore it and they'll stop and it'll go away. Well, it no, did. they won't. I tried that. <laughs> no, they won't. Sadly, eventually people in the community were referring to me with those humiliating names. Second strategy was the direct approach. I went to each one and asked them to please stop calling me these names. They laughed. It continued. And doing that was terrifying because one of them was my direct supervisor. And as a result, he was in charge of my performance assessment. Third thing I did was follow the chain of command. I went to our boss, our detachment commander, our leader, and asked him to please tell them to stop calling me these names. He said, well, maybe you enjoy the attention. Yeah. To make matters more complicated, my partner with 15 years of service arrived at work drunk. Before I could drive him home, he crashed his car into a parked car. 
I don't know how people do that, but they do. Fled the scene, forced another vehicle off the road, and just barely made it into his driveway by the time I caught up to him. Later, he wanted and expected and assumed I would provide a false statement as to the cause of the accident. So you can imagine what a choice. My ability to make ethical and lawful decisions was challenged because I was being bullied and intimidated. Ask yourself if you've ever said anything that was offensive or hurtful. Well, of course we have. None of us is perfect. We all make mistakes. The idea is hopefully we learn from those mistakes, we move on from those mistakes, we don't repeat them. The difference between a bully and a mistake is with the intent. The bully wants to wound, to have power over, to humiliate, and to destroy. The bully sets the stage for the target, for the victim, for anyone who's considered the other. And that can be those who don't fit into the, cha the, challenge, the culture of the organization, those who look different in skin color, as we've seen with the police shootings, those who dare to stand up and speak up against the command and control. Basically, this could be any one of us. And if no one says anything, it escalates. Bullying can start out as teasing, and because no one says anything, the violence escalates. One night in December, I came to work and I went to use a lady's washroom. I opened up the wooden stall door and it fell off the wall, landed on my face, split my forehead, and gave me a concussion. This was meant to be a joke. Three days later when I returned, the maintenance officer said, Sherry, I have no idea what happened, but it looked like somebody intentionally loosened the screws. I went to get my gun belt out of my gun locker, and I noticed it was open, and inside I had a blue gym bag. Inside the blue gym bag was a dead prairie chicken with blood dripping all over my personal things. This was meant to be a joke. So my fourth ineffective coping strategy was to try and ride that bullying wave. My fifth strategy was to change detachment. Yet, even after moving station to station, nothing significant changed. And as the years rolled along, bullying incident, harassment, a shotgun training accident, disability, intimidation, threats, I, re I realized that I was going to work in a hostile work environment that was intimidating and isolating. Why do people stay? Why did I stay that long? Well. One, financial, I needed the money. I was a single mom, and it was fear. My comfort no, zone was fear. And didn't pay nothing, it Those feelings of being empty, a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. That voice in your head, when you're bullied enough, you start to think, there must be something wrong with me. And this hopelessness comes from a sense that nobody speaks up because people know what's happening. They see it, they hear it, but nobody does anything. And by this silence, allows and condones the bullying to continue. And being strong did not mean I was invincible. I still remember that January morning, 10 years ago, driving to work and I realized, Oh my gosh, if I go to work one more day, I'm going to die. 
I didn't know how I was going to die. I just knew I was going to die. That night when I went to my bedroom, I reached for my sleeping pills. I wasn't thinking of tomorrow. I wasn't thinking of what I would miss. Birthdays, anniversaries, coming school grad, traveling to Europe, standing underneath that beautiful Eiffel Tower, touching the Wailing Wall, attending the United Nations in New York City, years of love and laughter and fun and giggling. The only thing I was thinking of was falling asleep and feeling nothing. And out of the corner of my eye, there was a small school photo of my daughter. And in that micro split second of hesitation, that same voice said, I can't do that to her. You see, to be in that pit of despair and to climb out to a place of empowerment, well, that came in stages. I had, be, I had to begin to be curious about why some people believe, truly believe they have the right to behave a certain way. I had to really be curious about my own pattern, my own personal history. Is there something I need to change? Because I can't change them. The only thing I have complete control over is me. How I deal with things. How I react. And I created my toolkit. My survival toolkit. Number one. Document. 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 I began to document the incidents of bullying way back in the beginning. And it was really just a form of journaling. I wrote down dates, times, places, who said what, when and where. The good, the bad, and the ugly, including my mistakes. And if anything, it gave me the power of my voice to say, hey, this is what's happened to me. This is what I tried to do. This is what didn't work. This is what did work. And by journaling it, it was the power of my voice. And I thought, in 2007, I thought, you know what? Maybe this could be a book. Maybe I could write something and help somebody else so they didn't get to that point of despair. Because not everybody gets that sober second thought. I'm a very visual person. I like to write little, I had to write little stickies and I put them all around the house in the bedroom, one right by my clock, so when I turned off my alarm, it said, wake up every morning with positive thoughts. That's a choice. I put them in the ba bathroom. I put them, my husband sometimes would open up a drawer and there'd be a little sign that says, I love you. I put them in a car and I put them at work. So when I was getting dumped on and felt like crap, I would look, open up the drawer and take a little note and then I would see a little, little saying that says, you are good. You are valued, you are important, and you count. This might not work for everybody in the audience, but this is nail polish, and it's orange. In case you notice, that's my favorite color. Every Thursday, either before I went to work or after I went to work, I would paint my nails. If it was before work, I would do it with my daughter. It was a little bit of bonding time. If it was after work, then I would do it by myself with a nice cup of tea. It was something little, and it was very cheap. But it made me feel strong about me so I could go back and face another week of abuse. I don't know about you, but exercise is important. It, when you are under a lot of stress, 
it helps you deal with stress, gets rid of that negative energy, it helps with your heart, it helps with your sleeping patterns, and it makes you feel strong so that you don't feel as intimidated physically. I got to know my policies, procedures, rules and regulations inside and out so that when I was being abused, I knew more about the information that the bully was trying to play a trick on me and I could prepare documents to say, no, this, this and this. Of course, it made me more of a target, but the point was I knew more information about their system than they did. I went back to school. The first class I took was management assertiveness training because when people are bullied and abused, they lose their voice. They, and I'm not just talking about at work, I'm talking about at home too. They lose the sense that they have a right to say no. They have a right to change their mind and the most important relationship is with ourselves, learning to value ourselves, developing boundaries on behaviors I will accept and behaviors I will not accept at home and at work. I continue to take classes in conflict resolution. My university marks do not reflect my 25% in high school chemistry. Thankfully, when my daughter saw my transcript, she said, Mom, you're a loser in high school. Everything, I've, everything I learned at university, I practiced at home with my family, my friends, and specifically at work. Learning the importance of effective communication and listening skills and the relationship that has in any conflict. Developing I messages when you're dealing with a bully or someone who is more con confrontational. For example, when you call me beaver in the workplace, I feel humiliated. Please stop. When you take me into your office and you yell at me for 20 minutes and call me stupid, I feel embarrassed. Please stop. You see, a bully is used to a certain way of responding, and when you change that, maybe that will change the dynamics. Either way, you've taken back your power. And maybe others will speak up. No, I'm not giving myself a haircut. This is detaching from the bullying behavior, not engaging in the abusive pattern, understanding that everybody has their own personal history, and you have no idea what's going on with someone else's life. The idea is to be curious, compassionate, and forgiving with yourself as well as with others. But this is not an invitation to be a doormat or a punching bag, either at home or at work. Developing hobbies that are... Okay, Daniel, Daniel. Goldman calls for a criminal investigation into Donald Trump. <laughs> How many times have a criminal investigation has been called into Donald Trump? Several. Um, criminal investigation involves Trump trying to get the DOJ to overturn the election. To get the his DOJ, Bill Barr, to overturn the election to say it was, I don't know, uh, fraudulent and give it to him. 
that's something. Donald Trump doesn't care about being voted in. He wants to overturn the election and just say, and give it, give it back to me. I want it. When he lost, he lost. Just say it's corrupt. I'll take care of the rest. Of course, that's, uh, that's criminal. That's thuggish. He should be in jail for that. He should be indicted. And all of us are saying, what the hell is wrong with the Department of Justice? They got so much evidence on Donald Trump. They got mountains of evidence all over the place. But yet, they will not indict him. They will not put the handcuffs on him and throw his ass in prison. What is up with that? And I'm not the only one saying that you're saying it. Uh, politicians are saying it. At least the Democrats are. What the hell is wrong with not indicting Trump when there's so much evidence everywhere? And he comes out every day at some of his rallies. And he admits some of this stuff. This is why his lawyers are telling him to shut up because he's out there incriminating himself at some of his rallies is free. This is crazy. What the hell is up with Merrick Garland? I had so much confidence in this guy when he was, you know, when his confirmation uh, was over and he had become um, the leader and the head of the Department of Justice, but yet he's not doing his job on this particular subject. As long as Donald Trump is free, he's free to incite another insurrection as he did on January 6, 2021. As long as Donald Trump is free and given rallies, he's going to incite violence, and they know it. As long as Donald Trump is free, he can run for another term as president in 2024 and wreck the fucking country. This time, totally tear it down. This is what he wants. This is what his minions want. This is what his hoods and his goons want. And I've talked about this before on other shows. This guy needs to be taken off the fucking streets. He needs to be taken off the streets. Donald Trump is laughing his ass off, thinking he's above the law. Just about everybody who's anybody that was in his circle has gone to prison, but not the hitman, the guy who set all this shit up, the, the guy who uh, uh, gave them their assignments, not the bag man. And Americans are at one voice. They have one question. Why is he still free? 
why is Donald Trump still walking the earth getting ready to do another insurrection right in front of us? Once Donald Trump starts another insurrection, it's going to be on Joe Biden, Joe Biden's administration. It's going to be on Merrick Garland for not arresting this guy. And I do believe it has something to do with Joe Biden, the reason why the Justice Department has not indicted Trump. Joe Biden feels if Trump is indicted, it's going to suck up all the air in the room and people will not hear about his agenda. They will just pay attention to Donald Trump being indicted. That's one of the things that I've read. And actually, I heard uh, earlier Joe Biden say it in one of his speeches. He wasn't on the subject long, but he actually did not want Donald Trump charged because it would People would not pay attention to him if Donald Trump was charged. They would just pay more attention to Donald Trump going to prison than they would Joe Biden as president. So Joe didn't want it. I disagree with Joe Biden. Who cares? This man has violated the laws of the Constitution, the American people in the teeth, and he's still doing it. He's starting to think if he hasn't thought, he is actually above the law. Because all of these people who have gone to jail around him, and he's, and he is not. He's at Mar-a-Lago. He's selling cards. <laughs> he's selling cards into his cult. He's made of some sort of cards uh, that he's selling to people, his his stupid supporters, uh, the cards are saying something to the effect that, that if you are a loyal Trump, Trumpian, buy this card so you can show everybody that you are a loyal Trumpian. It's another way for him to fleece his ignorant and stupid supporters. I do believe that Donald Trump will be indicted. I do believe at some point he will go to jail. But when? I don't know. Uh, if he, I'm, I'm thinking that it may be before the midterms of 2022. Need some hoping for this. And other people are a little bit more positive or a little more uh, negative than I am on it. A lot of people say, oh, this guy's not going to go anywhere. He's he's Teflon. He can't be touched. He can be touched. We just got to get our Justice Department and our president to arrest this guy. Just like Joe Biden may not want Donald Trump arrested. I mean, Joe has said that he will not mess with his Justice Department. He's going to let uh, Merrick Garland do the things he wants to do. But I do think Joe Biden's hands is in this when it comes to indicting Donald Trump. And that's another thing that uh, it brings up another uh, issue for me, the filibuster. The filibuster. Joe does not want 
to end the filibuster so we can have voting rights. He does not want to do that. Why? Well, I'm hearing that <laughs> he doesn't want to end the filibuster because it would be chaos. Yeah. He doesn't want to end the filibuster because he says there will be chaos. And that's it. Well, Mr. President, let me tell you something. We already have chaos. We've got COVID-19 killed over 6,021 people in this country. We've got Donald Trump telling his Justice Department, just say it's corrupt and I'll take care of the rest of it. We've already have chaos, Mr. President. And I think you know this. Chaos with the Senate Republicans. Some of those guys and girls hate America. That's, that's chaos. We already have chaos, Mr. President. Joe Biden is steadfast on not ending the filibuster which a lot of us Americans and black Americans thinks it stinks. Wow. Without, I mean, if they get rid of the filibuster, their agenda will be easily passed. The Republicans use the filibuster when they want to hit the Democrats over the head. Republicans are bullies. Straight up bullies. They're white supremacists. They're haters. They're the KKK. Not every Republican, but the ones we know of and see every day on television who expouse against the vaccine, who expouse against voting rights. President Biden has to do is kill the filibuster to get his agenda through more quickly. And I want to tell you something. I don't have any – I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me. I really don't care. I'm not a Kamala Harris fan. I thought I was going to be when she was running. I thought it was great. I thought it was wonderful. And I, I wished her all the luck in the world, the best in the world at her new job because she's just one step away from the presidency. Joe Biden gets sick or something. Somehow he dies in office. She becomes the next president of the United States. A woman of color. That has never happened before. Juncture, I'm no fan of hers. I, I just have to say that. I, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm no fan of hers. I, I don't see what she's doing. I, I just think she's just a, a piece, just a stander. I'm pretty sure she has her agenda and she has for her uh, duties of what she does but I just I just don't see it and I mean um, I see Joe Biden I see um, the press secretary you know I see the Republicans I just don't see what she does I think she's just window dressing 
let's say if Joe Biden died in office, what kind of president would she be? Would she be giggling? And <laughs> I don't know. It's just me. You may uh, disagree with me. If you do, just you know, leave a comment somewhere and say you disagree. But I'm not a big fan of hers. I guess when she was doing those Senate hearings before she became vice president, you know, she would always, you know, when she asked a question of someone, she would say, yes or no, sir, yes or no. Because she knew that a lot of people she asked questions to, especially at some of these Senate hearings that were Republicans, they never answered the question. She's the same way. You ask her a yes or no question, she's going to talk around it. She's not going to answer it directly. That's one of my pet peeves that I have with her. That's something I thought that would stop with her since she became vice president. But it did not. She took it over to her job. I mean, she criticized other people she would question in some of those Senate hearings for not answering straight and direct questions. When she herself, when she's asked questions, a yes or no question or a direct question, she doesn't answer it. She talks all around it. There, were, there was a big hullabaloo about that not too long ago. But that's not the only reason why I see that I can see where she's probably will not make a good president. But I don't want to be uh, jumping the gun because, you know, she could end up being the greatest president ever. But I think Biden has that. I mean, American people love Joe Biden. I mean, they love this man. And they hate it when the Republicans bully him or say nasty things about him. They can disagree with his, you know, his agenda all they want. But the Republicans are name callers. (laughs) They like to call you names. But I do think that Joe Biden will probably be, go down in history as the greatest president ever, even surpassed Barack Obama. And I, and I will say this, I was never a true fan of Barack Obama, even though I voted for him both times as president. Now you take Donald Trump, for instance. In a long while, in a very long while, he's the first one-term president in a long time. He is a one-term president. I mean, when we voted, we voted our asses off. We threw this jackass out. Running up to the election in 2020, Trump knew he was losing. The polls were saying that he was losing. He was probably uh, plotting how to cheat then. He knew he was losing. The polls were telling him he was losing. But somehow, he garnered 75,000 votes. Excuse me, 75 million votes he garnered. No other president in history, I, I think, got that many votes. But Joe Biden landslided his ass and got 81 million. 
and a lot of those Trump voters, voters, Biden peeled them off. And Biden is still peeling them off because Donald Trump, criminal, and they all know it. Donald Trump incited and sent the mob to the Capitol on January 6th. Trump did this. No one else did this but, but him. And he's still trying to get back in office. He's still lying that he won. <laughs> you have not won anything. Actually, I'm, I'm writing a book, uh, just like a thousand other authors, on Donald Trump's uh, loss. Yeah, I'm writing a book. I'm pretty sure some of you out there are writing a book. But this is <laughs> uh, this is real. This is real. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Let me see the George Wilder Jr. Show. I want to say, folks, thanks for listening. I'm I'm going to uh, uh, keep you all in my prayers about hopefully uh, uh, if you're still on the fence about n- not getting that vaccine, get the vaccine. Um, it works. It works. The George Wilder Jr. Show is off the air. Bye-bye, everybody. Stay safe. Stay safe.